Shelby. Bill O'Reilly tackles with trouble with truth. Bill Robertson in the theft of America's soul. And the amazing art of Rock DeMarco. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Milbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! All right, folks, tonight, we're going to do something very special because my first guest is a live painter who has performed with Alice Cooper, Kiss, and the comedian Carrot Top. Now, backstage during our show, he's going to be doing a live painting. I want you to welcome Rock DeMarco. He's with us tonight backstage. And I promise it is going to be a lot more exciting than watching paint dry. Okay, Rock, why don't you tell us what you're going to be painting for us? Well, Governor, I tell you, as an entertainer, there's an old saying that you should tailor your show to the audience. And tonight, I'm going to be doing a painting of President Obama. Uh-huh. What? One second? Yeah. Uh, Can that's... you check back with me on that? Yeah, let me check back with you on that. I think that's, uh, you might need to stay backstage, but that's just a suggestion. I'm going to be know. doing a painting that I think everybody's going to enjoy, and it's going to be a surprise. A surprise. If you could keep checking back with me throughout the show. Oh, we're going to do that. Great. Well, since you watch our show, I suppose that I need to warn you that according to some recent news articles, you are watching a show hosted by a hateful bigot. <laughs> and that was about the nicest thing that was said about me. Here's what happened. I recently spoke at the National Religious Broadcasters meeting out in Anaheim, California. I was interviewed by the Christian Post, and they asked me what I believed was the biggest threat facing our culture. So I replied that I thought it was the abandonment of the biblical standards of family, uh, the view that there is no such thing as maleness or femaleness anymore, uh, and that marriage doesn't really matter, and divorce is no big deal, and that any form of marriage is equally valid, not just between a male and a female. I also said that it's that fathers don't seem to be that important to the development of a child, that gender is fluid, and that we can just choose a gender based on how we feel rather than how we were created, and that the Bible is some old book that no longer represents our changing culture, and it often fails to be on the right side of history. So since that article, virtually every left-wing publication in the country has blasted me for what they called homophobic and anti-LGBTQ hate. Now, most fail to point out that I said nothing about LGBTQ anything. My main point was that the reason for so much cultural confusion and moral decadence was the Christian church. Too many modern churches have decided to preach a gospel that just doesn't offend anyone by basically saying, just do whatever you feel about. And so we have ignored or maybe dismissed biblical standards so that we can be modern, relevant, in touch, hip, and relatable. I mean, surely God would never want us to hurt someone's feelings or disagree with their beliefs. And look, I want to be very clear. I don't think God wants us to be obnoxious, judgmental, hateful, or self-righteous. But without apology, I do believe God has created the standard. And we need to challenge our culture to tune itself to God's truth rather than demand that God tune himself to my truth and our culture. So, as a musician, here's something I absolutely know. Before I can play a piece of music, I must first tune the instrument to the musical standard. And whether the standard is a tuning fork, a well-tuned piano, or an electronic tuning device, even the most virtuoso musician will only make noise if his or her instrument isn't tuned to a fixed, absolute note on the musical scale. Look, I didn't make the rules. If there is indeed a God, and I believe there is, then he creates the rules since, hey, he created the game. Now, my job as a human is not to persuade him to agree with my behavior or standards, but is to change my behavior to his standards. 
I want to be very clear. I don't hate anybody. I really don't. But I refuse to ignore or deny God's law or natural law. And if I fail to tune my life to those standards, how can I hope to make music of my life? When every instrument of the band plays according to its own standard of tuning, the result? Chaos and noise. The instruments are not the same in tone or volume or sound, but they do join together to make music only if they agree on the tuning device. Hey, you're free to live the life you wish to live, but you are not free to tune your life to what you feel, believe, or think instead of a standard that God has created because otherwise you'll end up with a result that is anything but beautiful. Now, if that makes me a hateful bigot, then it's because those who label me that are tuned to a different standard. So with no apology, I'll do my best to tune my life and beliefs to God's unchanging standard rather than to ask him if he could rewrite the Bible and tune his standards to me. That's my view. Well, on a recent trip to New York, I had the chance to sit down with veteran journalist and political analyst Bill O'Reilly. We had a very frank discussion about the repercussions rattling Washington after the Mueller report and when it didn't deliver the verdict that many in Congress wanted and hoped for. Bill, we've had two years, 500 witnesses, 19 attorneys, and about $30 million spent trying to prove that Donald Trump was colluding with Russia. Bottom line, he wasn't. What have we learned from it? There is no way on this earth that Donald Trump would devote the time to colluding with anyone, yeah. much less a foreign government. His concentration span is about 30 seconds. So unless the collusion can be put into a 30-second window, not going to happen. Plus, there was no motivation for him to do it. He wasn't confident he was going to win, but he felt that he had a shot to win. He didn't need Putin or uh, the crazy websites or WikiLeaks, and, and it wasn't even on his mind. So when it all first started, I went, nothing, nothing there. Yeah. Um, Mueller himself, um, I think he knew that unless he had direct evidence that you, Governor Huckabee, me, Bill O'Reilly, and everybody else could see, he couldn't mess around with it. It wasn't subjective. He didn't have it because it didn't happen. Unfortunately, Governor, we live in an age where people believe what they want to believe, not what's true. Yeah. And very few of us even seek the truth, and certainly the American media does not. They don't seek the truth. So America believes what they want to believe. And if you don't like Trump, then you're going to say, well, I did something. <laughs> and then if you love Trump, you go, I didn't do anything. And that's where we are. One of the things that never made sense to me, the media's narrative was that Donald Trump didn't really want to be president. He just wanted to build his brand. Uh, he didn't expect to win. He was shocked he won. And I'm thinking, OK, if that's the narrative, but then you turn around and say that he colluded with the Russians and worked all this effort to get the Russians involved so he could win. Something didn't work there. That didn't mix. When the media says he doesn't want to win, what is it based on? Yeah. Some anonymous source. You don't know who it is. He wasn't sure he was going to be able to pull it off. And he was shocked that the media hated him so much. In the beginning, the media didn't hate him. The media gave him all kinds of airtime. They blew guys like you away. Yes, they did. Because you couldn't yeah. get that airtime. Right. But then, as he got more powerful, and the crowds got bigger and more adamant that they wanted to vote for him, then the media started to turn. Um, so the whole Mueller report investigation, I think, had to be done uh, because it was so much suspicion about it, and we got to have our elections protected. Mm -hmm. Have to. I wasn't uh, disappointed that it was done, but now that it's been proven there was no Russian collusion, I think we walk and advance the story now. One of the narratives has been he's a racist. Now, Bill, you've known Donald Trump for decades, not years, decades. Did you ever, or did anyone in the New York area that have seen Trump during these years, ever say, Donald Trump's a racist? No. Trump doesn't care what color you are. When he was a businessman, he wanted to make money. So if you were a Martian, yeah. he'd sell you a building if you could finance the building. Mm. Didn't care, all right? And his father was like that, and they wanted to make money. Race, this, that, and the other. He wasn't involved. 
It wasn't a topic of conversation at dinner table. He wasn't involved in the civil rights movement. Trump wasn't. Um, and he doesn't care what color you are. What he does care about is he would like to help yeah. blacks. And he feels the way to do that is to build a strong economy so that they prosper. Yeah. And he's been fairly successful in doing that. That seems legitimate to me. Yeah. You've certainly been a commentator. But you've had long time of being a journalist where nobody really knew what Bill O'Reilly thought uh, because you reported the story. Right. Is journalism dead yes. as we know it? Six conglomerates control 90% of what the national news is. Six. Hmm. Those conglomerates are mandated to make money. That's the first thing. So when you have six corporations running the uh, national news flow, you're going to have ideology and you're going to have profit. On the cable news front, where you and I live, um, the industry has turned into a hate Trump or love Trump industry. Hmm. When Trump leaves the stage, I will predict right now that whole industry, cable news, will collapse. Because all of their viewership is based upon loving Trump or hating. 95% of Tr Fox News viewers, 95% are Trump supporters. When I was there, 60% were Republicans, 20 liberal, and uh, 20 independent or floaters or whatever. We had a pretty diverse mm -hmm. thing. Not anymore. CNN and MSNBC, after the Mueller report, their ratings collapsed because the liberals who watched them didn't want to hear that there was no indictment against Trump. And the credibility of some of those networks, I mean, for John Brennan to go on television, former CIA director, and say that the president of the United States is guilty of treason, a crime that, if true, were punishable by death. That's a pretty major charge to lob against a president of the United States and then to turn around and say, well, maybe I uh, overstated it. Yeah. Perhaps I was a little wrong. Uh, how bad has media played this whole story and the bigger story of America right now? Look, it's, it's even beyond that because the founding fathers understood that if you wanted to have a democratic republic, which is what the United States is, that the people had to know what was going on. Mm. The farmers and the merchants in Boston and Savannah, Georgia, had to know what they were doing in Philadelphia. Washington didn't exist at the time, okay? And the only way they could know was if you had an honest press telling them. So they gave the press these extraordinary privileges that they could report the facts to the people so the people could make educated decisions on who they were give power to. John Adams, second president, tried to derail that. He didn't like that. Mm. John Adams felt that the patricians, the landowners, the white guys should really control everything. And eh, the riffraff, we don't mm. really want to have them involved that much. He got slapped down because of this ironclad freedom of the press thing. So over the years, America has had problems sometimes, but it was essentially there that the folks could trust what they were being told on TV and radio and what they were reading. Gone. Well, there's more with Bill O'Reilly on our show next week when we tackle the sore lack of history in our culture and what's leading us as a nation to even consider socialism. Well, until then, be sure to visit BillOReilly.com for Bill's daily news analysis, his insight, and more. And be sure to consider pre-ordering his new book that's on the horizon, The United States of Trump, the most unlikely political phenomenon of our lifetimes. You can pre-order that book right now at Amazon or BillOReilly.com. Keith, you know what? We've got a great lineup for the viewers tonight, so why don't you tell them what kind of history we're going to be making tonight? I think you're right. Coming up, Christopher Scalia recalls the faith of his father, Justice Antonin Scalia. We'll check in on Rock DeMarco's speed painting, and later, Duck Commander Phil Robertson joins us. Stay tuned for more Huckabee.
And welcome back. In 2016, America lost one of its greatest constitutional scholars, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. I lost a friend with whom I had the pleasure of hunting with in the duck woods of Arkansas a few years ago. And I can confirm that his skill with a shotgun was as accurate as his acerbic wit in his legal writings. But his wisdom lives on in this new collection of his thoughts on religion. It's called On Faith, Lessons from an American Believer. Please welcome its co-editor, Justice Scalia's son, Christopher J. Scalia. Chris, great having you here. Thank you so much. It's great Thank to you. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to know, first of all, I loved your dad from a distance as one of the most brilliant minds of our generation. But when I got to spend that time with him in the woods, what a great storyteller. What yeah. a great sense of humor. You That's must right. have had a good time growing up in that house. Yeah, it was fun. He he is a he was a great storyteller and told uh, he had a lot of excellent jokes and he just told them so perfectly, like flawlessly. You came from a big family. I mean, there were a lot of you guys, yeah, right? Yeah, we had a few. Uh, there were there were nine kids in the family. I wow. was I was yeah. number eight of nine. One of the things that I love about this book is you're very candid about your dad and and the reality and authenticity of his own faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took you guys to church. It wasn't just a matter of he sent you. He took you. Yeah. He modeled for you uh, as a family That's right. the life of an authentic believer who loved God, loved the church, loved his family. Tell me about the influence that had on you as a kid. What amazes me now is that they, they managed to get, you know, it, there were, it wasn't always nine of us at the same time in the house, but they would manage to wrangle all of us, seven or eight of us, to church only, only about five or ten minutes late every week. And that, that's impressive. That's impressive. Um, Very and, impressive. Yeah, and... and uh, but also one thing that's really stuck with me is that my dad was always home for dinner and he always led the grace before meals. And it was just a really important statement about uh, spending time together as a family and beginning that time to together by thanking God. He didn't just sort of assume that you would know about his faith. He talked to you openly about yeah. his <laughs> belief in God and the morality that our country was based on and how important that was. Uh, yeah, he didn't lecture us all the time or anything like that, but if we had a question, he would answer it. Or if he thought something was especially important, like a prayer he really liked or a passage from a book he really liked, he would yeah. share it with us. Did, did you think it frustrated him sometime to see the secularization of our culture? What worried him most was that the Supreme Court, really since the 60s in particular, uh, no longer, the justices no longer believed that there was really large space for religious expression in public. Mm -hmm. And my dad argued pretty consistently, including in many of the speeches and yeah. excerpts in there, that the founders did that because a democracy needs religious citizens, because for many people, religion is a source of virtue. And we've gotten to the place now where it seems like to me, Chris, that government is almost hostile to people of faith, especially traditional faith. Do you sense that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that people, as my father was arguing, just kind of lose sight of what the establishment of religion was. It's not when the government, or, or a if a politician mentions God in a speech, if a president says, God bless America, that's not establishing religion. Yeah. But I, I do fear, and I think my father feared that we're losing sight of that. Well, I think we are. Your book is terrific because it really lets us see into this wonderful person that so many of us loved. It is great to see you. Let me tell you again, this book called On Faith, Lessons from an American Believer, The Writings of Justice Antonin Scalia. It ought to be in every home in America. You can get it from all major booksellers. You can also order it, learn more online at scaliaspeaks.com, right there on your screen. You can also follow Christopher Scalia on Twitter at CJ Scalia. Right now, I'm going to be turning it over to Keith. He's going to give us his version of Keith Speaks as he tells you all about what's coming up on Huckabee. Well, next, get ready to laugh with In Case You Missed It. And Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson is here. Later, the singing contractors perform Sweet Harmonies right here on Huckabee. And welcome back. This August, you can join me on a private luxury cruise across the Baltic Seas. You can enjoy some stunning ports of call in places like 
Russia, where we will collude. <laughs> no, we really won't, but we'll be going there. Also to Finland, Estonia, Sweden, and Denmark. You're gonna hear former Senator Rick Santorum, financial expert Dan Celia, many terrific musical guests who will perform, all on a ship that we have to ourselves because nobody else wants to be with us. No, it's really, <laughs> so we'll have a good time. You can go to thegreatesttrip.com, sign up today before we get fully booked. I really look forward to being with you, seeing you this August. Okay, you know earlier in the show that we met performance painter Rock DeMarco. He's backstage painting a surprise work of art. Let's check in on him. Hey, Rock. Governor. How is it going back there? Uh, it's, it's moving right along. Does anyone have any guesses yet? Well, I, I'm looking, I'm trying to figure this one out. I, I don't know. Let me give you a hint, Governor. Okay. It has something to do with somebody on the show Oh. Evening. Hey, Keith, what do you think uh, Rock is painting over there? Uh, a green Daffy Duck. What do you uh, think? Oh, come on. I, I don't know. I, All the, right. The pink skin is bothering me just a little bit. You think? I don't know. I, I hadn't figured it out yet, but we're waiting to see. It's going to be fun because he's going to reveal it at the end of the show. Trey, while uh, Rock is working at it, I wonder if you can give him some music so oh, he I can, can help you. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Keep Some rock and roll, please. All right, from two guys shooting each other for fun to a thief that was caught with a chainsaw in his pants. That's right. We've got the news that is all a buzz on a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. Okay, let me ask you something. What is sharp, loud, and can dismember you? No, it is not a freshman congressman. It's a chainsaw. Fresno police are looking for a man who robbed an equipment store by sticking a chainsaw down his pants. That is definitely a different way to get buns of steel. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about this guy shoplifting a manual chainsaw like this. I'm talking full 16-inch bar, high-revving, hope-this-doesn't-bite-you kind of chainsaw. The surveillance video shows the thief sticking the chainsaw down his pants and using his jacket to cover the engine. The thief and his idea were so ridiculous that the store owner probably never saw it coming. <laughs> well, if there's any glimmer of light to the story, at least this thief wasn't quite as stupid as the drunk teenager who used a chainsaw to rob a convenience store. He wore a flower pot on his head Governor, as this Why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think this whole chainsaw thing sounds like an act of treason to me. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Treachery, maybe, Keith. <laughs> but there is really no guarantee. None at all. By the way, I'm just glad the guy didn't rev up the chainsaw after he put it in his pants. That would have been memorable. Yes. Well, it pains me to say this, but it's in Benton County, Arkansas, where police responded to a report of a shooting and found a man wearing a bullet-resistant vest with a red mark on his chest. Now, at first, he claimed the shots came somewhere from the woods, but then he finally broke down and admitted that he and a friend had been drinking, no surprise, when he got the brilliant idea of testing his bullet-resistant vest by putting it on and having his friend shoot at him with his 22 rifle. Did I mention that this all started with drinking? <laughs> so he got angry after his friend shot too close to the edge of the vest and left a mark. So they switched. His friend put on the vest, and he fired the rest of the clip at him. Now, this either was the worst consumer product test ever are the worst IQ test. Here's the good news. We now know that bullet-resistant vests really work. The bad news, both men are charged with aggravated assault <laughs> on common sense. Oh. You've heard of having a bee in your bonnet? Well, here's something even worse. A woman in Taiwan went to a hospital complaining of a pain in her left eye. So the doctors looked through a microscope and they found the cause of her bad buzz. There were four small bees living in her eye. Sounds like something out of a horror movie. Of course, a B-grade horror movie. 
Look, I'm sorry if these puns are giving you the hives. <laughs> but these were sweat bees, a tiny species of bee that feeds off people's tears. Kind of like Republicans watching Rachel Maddow the night the Mueller report came out. <laughs> so doctors removed the bees and said she will be fine. But here's the stinger, and it's a honey. A local entomology professor said she couldn't have asked for a better bee to sting her in her eye. I gotta be honest with you, I think if she'd asked for any bee to sting her in the eye, she would have needed a therapist, not an entomologist. Well, they say caffeine can be addictive. I think this next story proves that the craving for caffeine can be overwhelming. Right here in Tennessee, a lady was hankering for a cup of coffee from the local Waffle House, but it wasn't nearby. So she stole an electric shopping scooter from the Walmart and drove it all the way to the Waffle House to get that cup of joe. Crossville, Tennessee police arrested Sally Selby last week for electric scooter theft. Being that she was a coffee addict, they certainly had grounds. <laughs> Ms. Shelby was spotted on a Walmart security video shopping in the cart initially then test driving it around the parking lot before she finally hightailed it to the highway and headed straight to the Waffle House. <laughs> Hopefully the officers gave her credit for being in the slow lane and not really opening that scooter up in the fast lane. But by the way, let me take a moment to espresso how wrong she was to steal that electric scooter. I'm sure she's gonna find that there are no perks for someone like her behind bars. Well, like the semicolon who was given two sentences for breaking the law, thankfully, we've run out of time. <laughs> so be sure to tell all your friends that we read the news Oh, boy. All right, Keith, I promise I'll never shoot you with anything more than a squirt gun. In exchange, all that I ask is that you just tell us what's next. Okay, let me recompose here. Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson and Mike gives you the facts of the matter, plus the singing contractors and speed painter Rock DeMarco, all here on Huckabee. Well, you know him and love him from Duck Dynasty, Buck Commander, and In the Woods with Phil on CRTV. His terrific new book is titled The Theft of America's Soul, blowing the lid off the lies that are destroying our country. Would you please give a warm welcome to Phil Robertson. These folks love you, Phil. I brought, uh, always remember this, boys, never leave home without your Bible and your woman. <laughs> Miss Kay, where are you? Where's Miss Kay? She's here. Now, Phil, when you were back in college in Ruston, Louisiana, you were on the football team with a guy that, well, he did okay, Terry Bradshaw. Y'all played football together at Louisiana Tech. He was second string and I was first string. And, and a lot of people don't know that. I told him, I'm going to step out, you're going to step up. I could play one more year. I said, I'm going to chase ducks while you are having large, violent men chase you. <laughs> I said, you know I just looked at it. I I'd said, you say... know what? I think chasing ducks is better than that. <laughs> I, so I, he took me up on the deal. 40 years went by, Huck, and somebody grabbed me from behind, and I turned around, and it was Bradshaw. He said, Robinson, chasing ducks, you did well. Yes, you did. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I have loved about you, your candor, which I think is one of the reasons that so many Americans fell in love with the Robertson family on Duck Dynasty and have loved your books. And this one, uh, this is a serious book. Yep. Because when it comes to things like 
this country and God. You're a serious guy. Yep, very much so. And what you talk about is how we are losing our soul in this country. Yep. Why and what is going on? Jesus in John chapter 8, y'all can read that when you get home, said the devil is the father of lies. Now, Huck, uh. I've been on the earth 72. You've been there about mid-60s. But just ask yourself, have you ever seen lying like what's going on in America? I've never no. seen it that much. No, it, it, it's frightening. He's the father of lies, and he's also the father of murder, he told those people. The father of murder, mass shootings, 60 million of our own children. Someone says, why did the guy in Las Vegas shoot all those people? Why does a mother who has a gift from God, her son, her daughter, I had four sons, I looked at them as gifts. I said, how could somebody be so calloused as to kill them? And all you have to do is look at our culture and say, you know, there's a lot of murder and a lot of lies, a lot of immorality, perversion. It's just sad. When you really outline this book, it's brilliantly laid out because you talk about 10 lies and then you mention what the truth is. Like yep. the lie is that God is dead. The truth, God of the Bible is not dead and he never will be. And in all 10 of these, these are very relevant uh, statements about what we're seeing in our culture. Yep. And you say, here's the lie. But here's the truth. Yep. Now, Phil, there's a lot of people out there today who are talking about their beliefs, and they say, well, my truth. I hear it. What's wrong with that? You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. Jesus shows up 2,019 years ago. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, what are the odds out of all the people who ever lived on planet Earth, our calendar is based on just one of them? Jesus of Galilee. Mm. What are the odds? <laughs> yeah. So we count time by him. He dies on a cross to remove the sins of the world. They put him in a tomb like we're all going. You say, all of us are sinners. Yeah. You say, we're all going to physically die. Yeah. Well, when Jesus came, he removed your sin on the cross. Three days later, he guaranteed you there's immortality waiting on you. And the difference between Kamala Harris and the Democratic bunch that want you to have health care, I already have health care <laughs> with the Lord Jesus, the eternal kind. And trust me, it's the only health care I've ever found that was free. <laughs> <laughs> So By the way, out. all these people are getting all up, fired up. And they, uh, when you're in your teenage years and your, your 20s, you got to have sex with this one and that one and the other one. Everybody's breeding everybody and you don't know what to do with yourself. Here's a news flash. When you get my age in the, your 70s, you and my little woman, Miss Kay, and you and your woman, you'll just be happy to get it over with and not get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not the only 70-year-old in here. <laughs> well, the book is fantastic. Phil Robertson, The Theft of America's Soul. And you can download a free chapter if you go to theftofamericasoul.com. You'll also find all of his social media connections there. He never ducks the key issues, ever. <laughs> now, we have hired our local quack to tell us what we've got coming up. So, Keith, go ahead and tell us what we've got coming up. Next, get the facts of the matter from Mike, then YouTube stars The Singing Contractors, and get ready for the reveal of Rock DeMarco's painting on Huckabee. Welcome back. From the thoughts on your minds to the bizarre behavior inside the Beltway, buckle up, because we're about to share the facts of the matter. From the pages of MikeHuckabee.com, where you can get my daily analysis on news issues and newsmakers, comes this story. The same liberal politicians and media figures 
who said Trump was crazy when he said he'd win the presidential race, he did, and that said he was crazy when he said Trump Tower was wiretapped, it was, and that said he was lying about not colluding with Russia, he didn't, they're now claiming that Attorney General Barr is crazy for saying that it's possible that spying did occur on the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. Now, I've written about the hysterical, methinks they doth protest too much responses from several anti-Trump stalwarts, such as Chuck Schumer, Jerry Nadler, and James Clapper. But here is a late entry into the denial sweepstakes. Eric Holder, the only attorney general ever held in contempt of Congress over his stonewalling of the Fast and Furious scandal, tweeted that Barr's comment was, quote, outrageous, end quote. He called the idea of the Obama DOJ spying on the Trump campaign a right-wing conspiracy theory for which there is zero evidence. Well, that is as long as you ignore the mountains of evidence. And those are just the personal text messages sent on government time. He also lectured Barr that when there is a predicate, a legitimate basis, it's called investigating, not spying. Okay, but what is it called when there is no legitimate basis, but you lie to FISA judges to get warrants to do it anyway? I mean, the word felony comes to mind. <laughs> now, there was also an excellent point brought up on an online comment that I read. Uh, these panic Democrats are right. Spying is the wrong term because spying is a passive action. There were actions to influence events. So a more accurate term would be sabotage or entrapment. Senator Richard Blumenthal, who certainly knows all about making unfounded, irresponsible claims, as he claimed he was in combat in Vietnam but had never even been there, also tried the, quote, I'm shocked at the suggestion that Trump's campaign was spied on when he tweeted this, A.G. Barr must retract his unfounded, irresponsible claim that American law enforcement spied on the Trump campaign. The only spies interfering in the 2016 campaign were Russian ones, end quote. Well, I think Sean Davis of The Federalist gave him a maybe bracing cold dose of reality when he asked, quote, are you referring to foreign spy and dossier author Christopher Steele, who was funded by Hillary and the DNC? Because he worked on behalf of a sanctioned Russian oligarch and colluded with Kremlin officials during the campaign. So keep a keen eye on what's unfolding in Washington. We may well discover Russian collusion and spy intrigue, but not where the Democrats hoped it would be. There may be a lot more clucking in Congress as the chickens come home to roost in the days ahead. Now let's take a look at what's on the mind of some great viewers like you. We get this from Edward in Memphis. He writes, Congressman Chuck Fleischman of Tennessee said this week that our southern border situation is a crisis with a capital C. Why aren't both sides of Congress responding to this? After all, 100 migrant caravans already have come in this year. Well, here's the answer, Edward, and it's pretty simple. Because we're moving into an election cycle, and unfortunately, too many people in Washington care a whole lot more about winning elections and holding power than they do about serving you and solving problems. And when we find that we have a Congress that won't solve problems and serve the people, it's time to send them home and keep some folks there who recognize the crisis and actually try to fix it. All right, this question comes from someone who identifies themselves as concerned in Georgia. A most unusual name, concern, but parents name their kids whatever they want. Uh, this, this is the question. With the exits of the Director of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen, and Secret Service Director, Tex Alice, it seems like the President's staff is in a major shakeup yet again. How does he seek to accomplish his goals when he seems to have a revolving door in his administration? Well, I'll be the first to tell you, there have been a lot of folks coming and going in the Trump administration more than most administrations, but a lot of it is that you hear so much more about the people coming and going in the, the Trump era than you ever did about other presidents. Frankly, President Trump is unlike other presidents in that if there's someone that he loses confidence in or someone that he feels needs to be replaced, he's more like an executive than a traditional politician. And surely after all those years of watching The Apprentice, you're not that surprised when he says to people, <laughs> you're fired. 
Why do you think I don't want to go to work for him? I don't want to hear those two words. I, I like what I do. All right, Justin in Oklahoma writes this. He says, Representative Ted Lieu of California played a clip of Candace Owens talking about Adolf Hitler during a congressional hearing about white nationalism. Was he seeking to discredit her or just insult her in a public forum? Well, the truth is he was trying to do both. Candace Owens is one of the smartest, nicest, and most fearless people I have ever known. She is one of those people that when you hear her talk, you realize she is carefully thought through. As a young African-American woman, she's outraged that people question whether or not she has the right to think for herself. Folks, it's kind of an American thing, isn't it? That people can have their own points of view and that they shouldn't be that predictable. So if she happens to be an African-American woman who is conservative, pro-life, and who believes that socialism is a really terrible idea for people of her generation, why maybe do we not just listen to her and hear her out rather than dismiss her as Ted Lieu so rudely tried to do? Hey, if you have a question or a comment on your mind, be sure to email it to us at my2cents at tbn.tv. That's the number two in my2cents at tbn.tv. Well, throughout the show, we have been watching a live painting being performed backstage. It's time now to meet the man and see his work of art. Please make welcome performance painter Rock DeMarco. Can you, can you guys guess what it is now? Who do you think that is? That is pretty cool. And you did that all while we're doing the show out I here did, tonight. I did. I um, did. Um, actually, though, part of my performance, I have to rehearse, so I've been staring at your mug for three days. <laughs> That's cruel and unusual punishment no. in 49 states. Now, do you actually wear the brushes on your glove like that? I do. I try to put a different color on each finger as I paint. Uh, to speed up the process. A lot of the shows that I do, I do live and in a short window of time. So this really helps me crank out the paintings. How did you ever come up with this idea of sort of speed painting during an event? Because you do corporate events, you paint during KISS concerts and Carrot Top events and all these celebrities. So it's amazing to me that this is an idea. I mean, I just don't even know where that must have first come to your head. This all came by accident. Years ago, uh, real quick, I was doing a mural in a booking agent's home, and during uh, lunch, he said, you, I got an idea. Let's bounce ideas off each other. And we came up with this act to create the paintings live for events. And within a month, that was my job. And it's been my job for, uh, this is crazy for me to say, 20 years now. You know, one of the things that I love what you do, Rock, is that you give so much of your talent back to children. And I think we are cheating children all over America by not exposing them both to music and the arts. You are doing that with a foundation you've created. And you have a kit that you make available to children. Tell me about that. Yes, we have, uh, we have a nonprofit where we go into hospitals and we provide art therapy and art kits to children. And this is our latest kit, which would be a reference photo of a lion that I painted. Can you see that? Camera Beautiful, one, camera isn't it? One. And uh, we also have a very cool satchel that has the same lion on it, which contains brushes, and we have uh, water-based acrylic paints. We wanted to create a kit that is for grown-ups. That way, children in hospitals feel special. They, they don't feel like it's yeah. a toy. And we've found that by children expressing themselves in hospitals, it not only takes their minds off the therapy, but it gives them a creative outlet to, a lot of times, children may not be able to voice what's going on, but I tell you what, that painting says a thousand words. Yeah. Yep. It says a thousand words. So. It, it is such a remarkable gift that you're giving to these children and giving them an opportunity not only to express, but to find their inner artistic quality and inside of every human being, there is a desire to express. Yes. And what you're doing with kids is magnificent. Thank you. Rock, thank you. I got, can I, do I have time? Go ahead. I got, a, I got one surprise for you. A surprise for I, me? I've got a surprise for you. Okay. So your producers were nice enough to yep. contact me ahead of time, and they commissioned a painting. 
uh -huh. as a gift for you. And I would like to present that to you very quickly. Oh. Okay. Okay. And here it is. This is a painting of the most famous Huckabee. <laughs> oh! That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having that me. That is great. I appreciate it. I can't wait for her to see this. Actually, when you see her, can you tell her boss I'm available for... You know what? I will. I will actually see her this week, because it's Easter break, and I will finally get to see Thank my you, little Governor. girl. Thank you. Thank this you. is beautiful. I appreciate it. So very nice. Well, for more information about Rock's performance painting, you should visit his website. It's rockdemarco.com. There on your screen, write it down. Find out how he's using art to help kids. You can visit paintlikearockstar.org. Such a joy to have Rock DeMarco here with us. Okay, Keith, it is time to put down your paintbrushes, and why don't you paint a word picture to tell the folks at home what we've got on the show next. Well, me and some of the audience members there are still wondering what happened to the duck peeking out behind your head. Coming up, viral internet sensations, the singing contractors perform. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. My next guests are two real-life general contractors, Josh Arnett and Aaron Gray. Well, they remodel bathrooms, kitchens, and other construction jobs in Indiana. Now, do you remember Snow White's song, Whistle While You Work? Well, these guys do just that. In 2015, Aaron and Josh posted their online videos of them singing while at work. Take a look. Well, I'll never get tired, tired, tired from working on a Yeah, well, these videos went viral as millions of fans fell in love with the singing contractors, and you're going to as well. Guys, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with us. Thank, Thank you for being here. Right. Man. And uh, right. we, we do have a little kitchen project upstairs in the green room. If you could work on that while you're here, that would be great. We'd love to. Sounds like a good we idea. We need money to get home. So. Well, <laughs> look, one of the things I want to ask you guys, did you know that you both sang? Was that something... Yeah. You did? Yeah, we, we kind of yeah. did. But, yeah. Uh, we subcontract for the same company. Yeah. And, uh, one day we showed up on the same job and and we were alone. Uh -huh. So we just let out a tune and he got the bright idea to put it on Facebook. And and the rest is history. That's it. <laughs> Another question about this whole con. Do you sound better when you're working in one of those showers that you just installed? <laughs> Anything helps. <laughs> <laughs> Heck, I sound good in the shower. Come on, man. man. Well, as the singing contractors get ready to perform, Keith, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can get a copy of Working on a Building. The singing contractors Working on a Building, hymns and gospel classics, is available in stores and at your favorite online music retailer. You can also find out more about their concerts and music at thesingingcontractors.com. You can also see an additional online exclusive performance only at Huckabee.tv. And now, here to perform for us, please welcome the Singing Contractors. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered would soon deliver you. Did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy 
would calm the storms with his hand. Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the Your baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nation? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's Your holy is a great. 